0: Well, welcome once again, everyone, to Connect Church Online. It is such a blessing to be able to be with you. And today I'm particularly excited because I have the honor and the privilege of getting to launch us into a new series, which we have entitled Kings and Kingdoms. And it's a series that is rooted in the book of One Kings. And we're going to be journeying through this book over the next Few weeks. So I trust that you'll join us on the journey, that you are as excited as we are, and that you will be blessed as the Lord reveals to you what He wants to reveal to you through this series as we journey through this book. Before we dive into the book, though, I just want to bring a bit of context, give uh, a bit of history, and a bit of insight into the book before we dive into it so that it sets the book up a little bit. I'm not going to do a long intro, just a very brief, basic one so we understand together the book that we are diving into. So the book of one and two kings, as the names suggest, detail the lives and circumstances surrounding the different kings that presided over God's people, the Israelites. And the books record events that took place over about the period of 400 years. And uh, it's important to know as well that these books are recorded uh, at a point that we could consider very crucial in salvation history. At this point, at the beginning of 1 Kings, uh, David had been king for some time. King David had been king for a long time. And David being king had uh, fulfilled a very important prophecy that had been given to Judah by Jacob. And uh, it was also a very important prophecy to have been fulfilled because it started to give meat and weight to the prophecy of Messiah that was going to come through the lineage of David that was given by God all the way back in the beginning of the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. So David becoming king was an outworking, really. The first signs of the outworking, tangible outworking of God's promise of Messiah to his people through the lineage of David. So David had become king. He had subdued the Philistines and the other enemies and he had ruled with a great degree of godliness and integrity. And it seems as though... The time is now set for the arrival of Messiah. Unfortunately, though, the sad truth, and this is a bit of a spoiler alert, the reality of the book of one and two kings is that they highlight the utter deficiency of men in the kingdoms that they establish. The book of one kings and two kings essentially are a parade of the sinfulness of men and how men in their kingdoms fall. And how the sinfulness of men gets in the way of what God wants to do. But how God ultimately is sovereign and his plans and purposes prevail. The sad truth about the book of 1 and 2 Kings is that they don't end with God restoring the relationship and the intimacy that existed in Eden before the fall. But the books of 1 and 2 Kings end the way Eden ended with God's people being exiled From the land. Now, that might not sound like a very exciting book to dive into or very um, positive uh, things to be talking about, but there is real beauty and depth as there is in all of God's Word in this book. And the thing that really stands out and the thing that we really walk away with uh, after a journey through the book of 1 and 2 Kings is a deep appreciation for the one true King and His kingdom. We get to see just how valuable Jesus is and this book as we read it really serves to increase our desire for the one true king and his kingdom as we see how Jesus surpasses all other kings and how men are utterly and absolutely deficient to meet the need of salvation but how Jesus rose to that and is the one who is worthy and able. So that's the real beauty of this. And so I trust that you will enjoy the journey with us. Now, the first half of the book of 1 Kings speaks very much about and focuses very much on the life of Solomon, King Solomon, the rise and um, reign and rule of King Solomon. But before we launch into Solomon's life, we're going to look at verses 1 to 10. And uh, I've entitled the sermon, I just can't wait to be king. Because the first 10 verses speak about David's decline. And so one of the headings we're going to look at is the frail king. The first few verses speak about the fragility of David in this season and at this time. But also about it speaks about his son Adonijah. Uh, and I'll speak about the pronouncement, the pronouncement of that name just now. But it speaks about his son Adonijah who tries to usurp the throne. And so those are the two headings we're going to unpack this scripture under today. A frail king and a rebellious son or Adonijah's pride. Now, just quickly on the name as I read, uh, when I read it, I wanted to pronounce the name Adonijah, but I spoke to some Hebrew scholars who are friends of mine and they reckon the name needs to be pronounced Adonijah. So if that rubs you up the wrong way, like it did me um, a little bit, that's fine. I will give you the contact details of the Hebrew scholars that I'm friends with and you can take it out on them and take it up with them. But as we read, I'm going to be pronouncing Adonijah. Uh, I thought it was funny because I had this debate with somebody and um, as they're listening, it, might, it might, uh, not go, might not be as pleasing to their ears as it is to yours and mine. So let's read together and then we will unpack, we'll unpack the message. We'll, un, we'll unpack the scriptures together. 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 1 to 10, this is what it says. Now King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord the king and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that my lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful and she was of service to the king and attended to him. But the king knew her not. Now Adonijah the son of Haggith exalted himself saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abatha the priest. And they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and Nathan the prophet and Shemai and Reah and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen and fattened cattle by the serpent's stone, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons and all the royal officials of Judah, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaiah or the mighty men or Solomon his brother. Some really intense verses of scripture there, and there's so much there to unpack. But I'm going to unpack the first bit under the heading, a frail king. As we read uh, verses 1 to 5 of chapter 1 in 1 Kings, the scene is really set for us. We see that David is old and frail. We see that he is about to die. He's reached the end of his life. And as sharks smell blood in the water and seek their prey by smelling blood and then eventually attack. And as lions and other predators pick out the weakest in the herd, or the youngest or the most frail uh, in the herd to attack when they are hunting, so Adonijah sees an opportunity for him to claim the throne of Israel in the light of his father's decline. David is also not, in these opening verses, painted in a very positive light. He is old and frail and it seems as though he's failed to action or to put in place a succession plan that would be godly. We see that he was apathetic when it came to that, when it came to um, anointing Solomon and putting him in the position of king before David himself dies. David knew that Solomon was going to succeed him. He had gone on record on oath and had said that Solomon was going to succeed him. But didn't seem to have made any effort to make sure that that happened. He took no action. We see David was ignorant to Adonijah's coup. And he had to be told. It seems as though he had lost touch with what was happening in his own kingdom. and his own court. And we see in verse 6 that David is not painted as a very good father. He seems to have lacked and ability to discipline his child. And now we see this great king, this one who has slain lions with his bare hands and taken out Goliath, the giant, and subdued the enemies of God under him and under the nation of Israel. Now all of a sudden on his deathbed, frail, weak, and fading away. And this really is a theme that we'll keep seeing recurring over and over again throughout the book of 1 Kings. The absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Christ and the utter and absolute deficiency and inability of men to save themselves and to be saviors. You See, David really was an incredible, incredible man. He was a man who, like I said, killed lions and killed giants and it was said of him by God that he was a man after God's own heart he had that title but we can become so enamored with men and with the strength of men sometimes we forget that they're just men and the opening verses of 1 Kings really helps us to understand this it speaks straight away to the fragility of men and the frailty of men and the fact that we are finite and our lives are like the mist in the morning here for a moment and then gone and here we see David, who was a mighty king, fading away because he was just a man. He was sinful like you and I. He had his weaknesses and his failures just like you and I. And if we compare David to Jesus, we see David who was sinful, yet Jesus Who was sinless. We see David who died, and his body is still in the grave. Yet we see our King Jesus, who died, buried, but was and was buried but was resurrected again on the third day, and who is alive and living and well today. Death could not hold Christ down. And through Jesus we have access into eternity, and death will not be able to hold us down. The sting of death has been removed, God's word says. And I'm reminded as I look at these opening verses and I see the frailty of David and the, and the fading away of David. Of the words of that song that say, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. This is what uh, the opening verses of one king set up for us. It, it's what it teaches us. It's what we're supposed to see straight away. That even the mightiest and most godliest of kings will fade away because they are just men. Human beings unable to do but ultimately God could only do. It really is important for us to take away from these opening verses and as we look at the fragility of David and his fading away and his decline, that there is no precedent There is no political party, there's no political policy, there's no man or man made system or structure that will ever be able to secure for us the future that we so desperately want for ourselves. Friends, husbands, wives, children, grandchildren will never be able to fill and fulfill the deepest places of your heart the way King Jesus can. They cannot eradicate pain and they cannot remove sin. Possessions, accomplishments, accolades, achievements. Nothing can satisfy the heart's desire the way Jesus does. And we see this as we read about David. We can imagine there were so many people who had placed their hope in him. There were so many people who had thought that he was going to be able to provide a great future for them. And certainly during his rule and reign, people were at peace. And there was comfort and there was prosperity to some degree for God's people. But all that hope was lost as David faded away. And certainly from one king to the next, you had some that were better than others. But kings come and kings go and kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But there is one who remains the same. And he is Lord over all, King Jesus. Like David, I think it's important for us to remember and to know that all other saviors and all other kings will fade away. There is only one who's proved himself to be worthy. Only one who is Lord over all. And that's our King Jesus. So this is how the first verses in One King set us up to understand the rest of One Kings. It's one mighty king falls and another one takes his place and the one's better than the next. And the one does good stuff and the one does bad stuff. And it's just this progression of rising and falling of men, but how God stays the same. And so we see in the opening verses, as I said, the scene is set for us. David is weak. He's frail. He hasn't been painted in a very good light. His humanness is brought to the fore. Although he was a great man of God, we see that he was just human and that he pales in comparison to the one true king. So that was point number one, a frail king. That's, that's, that's what we learn from that. That's, that's, I think, what we're meant to see. But before we move on to point number two, I just need to take a quick look at that verse, verse six, that was put there for a very important reason. The verse that speaks about David's inability to discipline Adonijah. Here's what it says in verse six. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? There's this repeated pattern in David's life. You see, with Amnon, his other son, who raped his sister, when that happened, David did nothing about it. And that provoked Absalom to go murder Amnon because he had raped his sister. And in verse 6, we see that David did the same thing with Adonijah. It says he never once challenged him. He never once displeased him by asking him, why have you done this or why have you done that? In other words, challenging him when he sees his son doing something wrong. And it really is there for us to pay attention to. It's not just an obscure verse placed in the opening of 1 Kings. It's there because it's highlighting the serious injustice that was done to Adonijah from David. By David not disciplining him. It was really unloving and unkind for David to go throughout his life without confronting and guiding and disciplining and rebuking his son. It's no excuse, but perhaps David was so busy with kingdom affairs and so busy with public cares and official duties that he forgot to take care of his primary responsibility under God. That was his family. And this is probably why when reflecting back on his father's life, Solomon, when he writes the Proverbs, writes Proverbs 13, 24, where it says that whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now I know many people don't like that verse and it has been taken out of context and used as a verse for uh, abusive parents to abuse their children. And I want to say that obviously we don't buy into that and believe that but we do believe in discipline and we do believe in rebuking when it is necessary and diligently as it says in the Proverbs exercising uh, exercising discipline um, and training our children to grow up in the ways of the Lord. But that was absent from Adonijah's life. And we're just reminded again that as a parent, it is never okay to delegate responsibility to the upbringing of our children in the ways of the Lord to somebody else. That responsibility falls to us and us alone as parents. And we need to take very seriously and be very diligent in our parenting, particularly when it comes to discipline and correction. Because as we nurture and grow and shape our children in the ways of the Lord so we trust that they'll continue in that path and in that way as they get older. But I wanted to say this not to not to blame David or to suggest that it was David's fault that Adonijah did what he did, but I think the lack of parenting played a role in Adonijah believing that he could do what he eventually went on to do. And because he had never been rebuked and never been disciplined, he felt the freedom to go and to try and usurp the throne from David as David was in decline. So we turn from point number one, a frail king, to point number two, Adonijah's pride. And here's what it says in verse five. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abathah, the priest, and they followed Adonijah. I want you to think about the words, I will be king. These are the words of Adonijah's pride. These are the words of an undisciplined child, a rebellious child who thinks it's okay to go against the will of God of the Lord and to exalt himself and to proclaim himself as king. But even if Adonijah had meant them, even in the most innocent of ways, let's just assume Adonijah had seen the decline of his father, saw that there was no succession plan and just had a care for the people and really wanted there to be a leadership in place and had gone, you know what, I will be king. I will take up this responsibility if I have to. Let's just assume he said it like that. It would still not have made it right because David had clearly said that Solomon was to be king. You see, Adonijah was following the worldly reasoning that exists in our day and age that suggests the eldest, the best looking and the strongest should be next in line to inherit the throne or to do this very important job that God has called us to do or called him to do. But we learn from Scripture that God's ways are not our ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways above ours. If you think back to David's own life, David was anointed king over Jonathan. Jonathan was the eldest son of Saul and Saul was the king at the time when David was anointed to be king after Saul. Not only that, but David was the youngest out of all his brothers And when the prophet Samuel went to the home of Jesse to anoint a new king from the sons of Jesse, he anoints the youngest one. But that was not who Samuel went to first. Samuel went to the oldest, strongest, most handsome brother. And God says to him, no, I don't look on the outside. I look at the heart. Man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And so David is not only anointed king over and above Jonathan, but also over and above his oldest brothers, because God looks at The heart where man looks on the outside. And Adonijah shows his sinfulness as he forgets that truth about God. And that it's not your outward looks and your appearance. Not any qualification that you have in the physical or that man can give to you. That men recognize in you. But it is what God sees in your heart that establishes you. As the one God is going to use for whatever purpose he has set you aside to use you for. This whole idea of I will be king was at the heart of Satan when he tried to dethrone God and become the ruler of the universe. This sin of pride, of of self-exaltation or of playing God really is a horrific sin because at the heart of every sin is a denial of God as God in our lives. And we position ourselves as Lord and King over our lives. And instead of it being God's way, God's will, God's rule, God's purposes, it becomes my will, my laws, my way, my desires. The true evil of sin, church, really lies in the denial of God as God in our lives. And this is exactly what Adonijah had done. Instead of consulting with the Lord, he decided to take it upon himself. And we live in a, de- in a day and an age and in a generation where we see so many people self exalting themselves. Declaring that they are the Lord of their own lives and the Lord of their own destinies, the master of their own destinies. We see them turning away from God and building kingdoms and becoming kings and queens of their own kingdoms, which ultimately come crashing down or will come crashing down one day. See, when we deny God and we make ourselves kings and queens of our own kingdoms, there's no ways that can be sustained, because at the core, we so desperately need to be saved. And unless you're building on the solid rock, you're building on nothing else other than sinking sand. And your castles that are made out of paper and cardboard will come crashing down. And those who have built on the solid rock will last. But Jesus and his kingdom is the only king and the only kingdom that will last. So Adonai's destruction and his, uh, his self-proclaimed kingship and kingdom come crashing down because of his rebellion but his rebellion had three aspects to it as we look in the scriptures the first was his public campaign might say it was the declaration that he would be king it was pride but along with the pride and to outwork his pride and and his desire to become king there are three things that he does he he launches this public campaign it says And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Can you just imagine it? Imagine being in your home and all of a sudden you hear 50 men in armor marching outside your window down the street. You and your neighbors all rush to the window to see what's happening. You see the streets lined with people, children and you look out your windows and then there's these 50 men that come past all clad in armor, warriors who look really mean and then after the warriors come chariots and after the chariots come horsemen and then this bodyguard and finally Adonijah comes riding behind them. It would really appear that that was legit. There'd be no ways that you would think that Something was wrong. How could it be that Adonijah is parading himself around as king if he wasn't really king? How could it be that he could be so ambitious as to go over the head of his father David and to usurp the throne? This must be legit. It looks legit. It's parading itself down the street. But that is often exactly how pride and sinfulness works. It becomes so brazen that it displays itself Publicly, it struts its stuff down the main streets of our culture and of our world and our lives. And it comes with all the trappings of social acceptability and appointment. And that's exactly how the enemy works, church. He will make sin seem so good and culture will buy into it. And the world will say it is good. And we battle to speak against it because imagine being one of those people who knew that Adonijah wasn't meant to be king. Imagine being one of those people who sat there, realizing it's actually meant to be Solomon. It will be very difficult to speak up against him because it seems as though he's in power. It seems as though this is legitimate, and to speak against it would certainly mean you being imprisoned or, even worse, put to death. Secondly, the second aspect to Adonijah's rebellion is uh, the endorsements that he gets. He's not only the one; he's not the only one who thinks. In a worldly way and who rejects God's ways. It says in verse 7 he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abatha, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. So, who are these guys? Well, Joab was a disgraced army general and probably wanted to retain his position of leadership in the military and knew that Solomon wasn't going to allow him to do that. And so he links himself and bolts himself to Adonijah. Then, Abatha is a priest. Not the high priest, but probably bolted himself onto Adonijah because he was expecting or hoping for a promotion. These self-interested individuals knew what was meant to be. They knew what was meant to happen. They knew Solomon was meant to be king. They knew the correct way of doing things. Yet still, they chose to buy in and to join the sinful rebellion of Adonijah as he staged a coup to usurp the throne of Israel. However, and for whatever reason they were driven, we learn this one thing, this one truth. Sin always finds its happy supporters. And it is often godliness and God's ways that are alien and criticized and rejected. Church, we live in a world where, where you stand up for godliness and you stand up for what is right. You're going to be criticized you're going to be rejected. Sin will always find its happy supporters and it becomes brazen and marches itself down the street and it becomes very difficult to speak against. But God has called us to be bold and to be a people who stand for what is true and what is right, regardless of the cost. And remember, not everybody has the mind of Christ and is able to live a godly life because not everybody who claims to be a Christian is one. They have, as it says in God's word, a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And so Adonijah is brazen about his declaration of being king. He puts it on display publicly so that no one can really stand against him. If it's this obvious, it must. And if it's this big, it must be true and it must be right. And then he gains supporters who are always willing to jump in if there is something in it for them then the third aspect is this backhanded way in which Adonijah conducts himself. He becomes very secretive. He includes some people and excludes others. Adonijah was being secretive and left out some really important people. It says, but Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and Nathan the prophet and Shemmai and Ray and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. So who were these people and why weren't they there? Well, we see that Zadok the priest was the high priest the high priest of Israel if you were going to be anointed king you were most certainly wanting that man to be around and to be doing the anointing but Adonijah leaves him out because he was a godly man who knew that he was not meant to be king or knew that Adonijah was not meant to be king and so would have rebuked him and said no and would have let David know earlier on about the coup. We see Nathan, who was the prophet to God's people at that time, the prophet who spoke truth to kings, the prophet who pointed out David as the one who was sinful. Remember the story of Bathsheba. And David is getting angry about a story that Nathan tells him about someone who steals someone else's sheep. And David's like, I would have put that man to death. And Nathan says, you're that man, David. You're the one who sinned with Bathsheba. You've murdered her husband. You've made her pregnant. You have stepped with her and she was married to somebody else. You that one, you the sinful one. And David repents because Nathan confronted him. David says, Lord, before you and you alone, I've sinned. But Nathan was a bold man who would confront kings at the risk of his own life or being imprisoned. Nathan was there and Adonijah leaves him out. Why? Because Adonijah knew that Nathan would confront him and rebuke him. Something his father had never done. And the king's bodyguard, David's mighty men and the king's bodyguard, these other men, um, Shemmai and Ray, were, 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 were David's bodyguard. And you most certainly, if you're going to become king, want their support and want them to be around you. We see in verse 9 that, that everyone else was invited to the crowning banquet except these very important people. And so two truths become very evident here. Firstly, Godliness and godly people are almost always marginalized. And you will see this in your life as you walk with the Lord. That the more godly you intend to be and the more you tend to stand up for righteousness, the more you'll be isolated and sidelined. And you'll find that relationships will be strained and people will avoid you because they don't want to hear what you have to say. Because they already know what they want to do and that's in us. I've experienced that in my own life. There have been times where I've wanted to do stuff and I know it was wrong. And I've gone to the people who would tell me it was okay and I've avoided the people who I knew would tell me what I didn't want to hear. And church, all we can do is pray and ask God that people would receive wisdom and that we too wouldn't fall into the trap of pushing out the people in our lives who will speak truth in love because they really care for us and don't just want to um, please us and be yes men and people pleasers. Adonijah surrounded himself with yes men, people who would say what he wanted to hear, who would scratch his itching ears. And secondly, there's this reminder to of the secretive nature And the hidden nature of sin. When we sin we do it in the dark. And we don't tell our church leaders or our spouses or even our closest friends. We don't talk to God about it. We keep it to ourselves. We keep it in the dark. And in the dark sin begins to grow. It finds freedom to grow and to fester. And whatever seed is sown will always grow and will bear fruit that is later and greater than the original sin that was sown. We also surround ourselves, like I said, with yes men and people tell us what we want to hear. And so it feeds our desire for self-exaltation and glory. And we deny Christ's lordship in our lives. So these are the lessons and the hard truths that we see unfolding right in the beginning of the book of Kings. And this theme is set for the rising up and the falling down of men, but the sufficiency of Christ stays the same. And all throughout the book of Kings, we're going to see this. Men rising up, kingdoms being built, but kingdoms falling, men falling in the sinful state of man, causing so much destruction and chaos. But how God in His sovereignty and His sufficiency is able to bring it all together and still redeem a people and prove Himself to be a God who is worth following. He is the one and only true King who is worth giving our lives to. In these verses, Adonijah illustrates the nature of the self-enthroning heart. And shows us that actually at our core, unless we have Jesus, we are people who rebel against God and his laws. And we do this through the various tactics that Adonijah employed. We think in worldly ways and we try to legitimize our sinful purposes. We become brazen with open demonstrations of publicity to normalize our sin. And that happens in our country and our culture and around the world so often. We seek out like-minded people to tell us what we want to hear and empower our own agenda. And we exclude the godly and make sure they're not a part of any discussion because that will cause us to hear things we don't want to hear. It's true that I've been an adonijah in my life many times. And the only way that I've been able to get over that is to recognize that, repent of that and ask God for his grace to never allow me to slip into that again. And I trust that if you're in this place and you can relate to Adonijah that you would repent because that is the only response. And to ask God to pour out His grace and His forgiveness into your life and to restore you to a place where you can walk authentically before Him, where you love His ways, His laws, His desires, His plans and His purposes for you. And maybe you're not an Adonijah and that's amazing. Let's continue to press in and to continue to be open to learning and to not become so uh, complacent and apathetic that we do fall into the same trap as Adonijah or even into the trap that David fell into of apathy and uh, and, an inability to discipline and to rebuke those he loved. May we be people who follow the one true king and don't decide to build for ourselves our own kingdoms and our own empires that will only come crashing down. May we be a people who are filled with the spirits and who bless God with the lives that we live. I trust that this has been a challenge and has been uh, empowering and it has been uh, deeply nourishing to your soul. I know that it's always difficult to hear about things that aren't easy to listen to or it's, been, it's, it's difficult to receive things that aren't always easy to listen to. But I trust that God will refine us as we journey through this book together. May well, you have a wonderful rest of your day and uh, we'll see you soon. Bless you. Bye.